0: So I'm Pastor Chris. It's uh, great to see so many faces here in person, as well as I just want to welcome everybody online as well. And um, it's been a pretty interesting week, right? We're kind of entering into the, the kind of tail end of fall, and pretty soon I'm told the snow will be falling. So we'll get our show. Yeah, we got the cheers, we got the booze, all that stuff going on. So that's tis life, right? The seasons of change. Well, I just want to welcome everybody. I am glad you're here today because we are in the second installment, the second week in this three-week mini series we're doing in November uh, that we're calling "Heretic," and the pronunciation is there in the little title slide there. This little mini series where each week we're looking at a basically a popular belief and then reflecting on how historically going back to the early church and the early Christians, how historically Christians may have thought differently about some of the things that we believe. And um, I just wanted to state ahead of time, there's no means, there's no way in like 20, 30 minutes that we're able to talk about like everything regarding one topic. So um, we would be here all day, probably for several years, if we'd be expanding on each of these topics. But this is meant to be a starting point. I hope for many of us this would be a starting point to explore either why you believe some of the things you do you know to be asked those questions to kind of dive in a little bit deeper or maybe you're spiritually curious you're someone that's that's watching or here in person and you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian but you're trying to figure out like what is this whole thing about maybe something that I need to dig deeper into and I'm going to say to whether you identify as either one I'm glad you're here I'm glad you're a part of this that this is a church that you can belong and so I'm it, what's interesting is in scripture, um, Jesus, Jesus said that we are to worship God with all our heart, soul, and what else? Our mind, right? Jesus replied, love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Other gospel side strength to that. Uh, but many people in the church world tend to gloss over the mind part in Christian circles. Sometimes you're told that you just believe it and trust it and don't ask questions. But, but that Jesus himself even points to this, this, that we should think and we should wrestle and we should try to figure things out and we should try to make sense of things. That that's a part of our faith development as we draw closer to God. That when we worship God with our mind, that means that we're actually trying to make sense of things. We're trying to flesh it out. And, and so today, one of the things that uh, we're going to talk about, the main thing we're going to talk about, is the thing to flesh out called the Bible. And like I said, there is no way in the time we have together that I'm going to give you a comprehensive understanding of the Bible. But, but the Bible itself, 66 books, it's actually more of a library than it is a singular book. It, um, and when you, when you mention the word Bible in, in a circle, say some friends that you have or a neighborhood gathering, maybe the conversation goes there, Uh, there tends to be a spectrum of belief about what the Bible is, right? There tends to be a spectrum of belief. that On one end, we have people that believe that it's not anything special or unique. It's just another religious book, another religious book. And many people tend to cringe at the thought of there being a religious or a holy book. Uh, or any kind of sacred text. And this view is more often, is more common than you would realize. Um, Barna recently has done a um, poll of Americans and discovered that half, believe it, half of Americans believe the Bible, Quran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truths. This is a very prevalent idea in our world and in our culture. And, and what's interesting is there, there's many people in this camp, and you might be one of them or know someone who actually has never read the Bible, has not opened it up, but is taking other people's words and interpretations and what their, their ideas about those things might be. And, and, and some folks often point out that in the Bible there's, there's lots of contradictions, right? This was written thousands of years ago. They might point out that there's mistakes, there's misuse of the Bible over history. We can confess to that, that people have misused the Bible and even pick and choose parts that they believe or that are valid. But what happens is sometimes people decide to throw the baby out with the bathwater, that they look at the Bible and they decide to cast it aside as an authority, but at the same time, they also do the same thing with Jesus. You say, well, this is not valid, then therefore Jesus is not valid. But to take that one view or that one kind of spectrum, like I said, this is more of a spectrum that it is an absolute you know, this and that. But on the other end, we, we have this belief that, that, that in a lot of the in-words, words like inspired or infallible or inerrant, meaning without error, Uh, tend to take things word for word, literally. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And in this assumption, in kind of this camp or this area, there's an assumption that if God is perfect, then he would write a perfect book, right? That if God is perfect, he would write a perfect book. But often what happens with this camp is that it can almost feel very unapproachable, that you can't ask questions, that this God is kind of almost a distant God that has kind of granted us this, this instruction manual in some way. And some folks, a lot of us, we kind of waver in the middle here, right? Some of us have experienced it as a holy book, but we also see how it has been used to justify some very wrong things, very wrong behaviors and actions over history, including abuse and ostracizing certain people groups. So the question I want to tackle today is why? Why should we believe or trust the Bible? Why should we believe or trust the Bible in the first place? And if you ask most Christians why they believe in Jesus, they'll respond that the Bible says that Jesus is Lord. And then if you ask them why they believe the Bible, they'll say because the Bible is divinely inspired. And if you press further and ask how, they'll quote scripture and say something like, well, the Bible says it's inspired. And you know what this is called? It's called circular reasoning. It means you're talking in a circle when you assume the truth of your conclusion to support or prove your conclusion. It keeps going around in circles. It's not really an argument at all or a response. It's just repeating the very premise and the claim in the form of proof. Another example of circular reasoning would be for me to tell you, you know I'm telling the truth because I always tell the truth. Well, kind of a circle there. Well, I always tell the truth, so you're going there. Another way of circular reasoning would be to say, you have to obey the law because it's illegal to break the law. Well, yeah, of course, it's illegal to break the law because it is the law, but why should we trust the law? It kind of goes around and around. But the real emphasis here, though, in order to look at, to look at what this means, is that we should believe or trust the Bible because we need to believe in Jesus based on the Bible. Because we base our belief in the Bible on Jesus. Instead of believing that that our belief in Jesus is based on the Bible, that's why people throw this away and they throw Jesus away with it, they base their belief in Jesus on the Bible, we're to base our belief in the Bible on Jesus. He's our foundation. Because outside of Scripture, there's many strong arguments that validate Christ is who he says he is. And we talked about that last week in our sermon, about about talking about why Jesus is divine. And I encourage you, if you didn't watch that or listen to that, then you can check that out. But the strongest of the arguments for Jesus are historical in nature. And it actually happened. His resurrection actually happened. The Gospels uh, have historical accounts. And not only that, but we have history. We have people's lives. Even people that were, were Romans. Even people that were, were Jewish. Even people that didn't believe that saw that something had changed in the disciples. And this, very, this movement among peasants all of a sudden blew up and expanded. Even in the midst of persecution. Why? Well, we would say because it's true. It happened. Well, Something we also have to realize is the early church didn't have a Bible. They didn't have the New Testament with the stories of Jesus. Instead, when they gathered, they told the stories of Jesus among them in house churches, in groups. And so we have to be careful when our faith in Jesus is based only solely. I'm not saying we don't base it, but it's solely based in what the Bible says. And Jesus himself He said this too in John 5. He pointed to the Pharisees. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus first, then scripture. He says, if you believe Moses, you would believe me for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? See, you wouldn't make this stuff up. You wouldn't make this up for to say that Jesus said these things. Because at that time nobody would refute the scriptures, especially from the Old Testament scriptures, but Jesus did, because he's saying your priority is important. We trust in the Old Testament and in the New Testament based on the authority of Jesus, not the other way around. But we also believe that it's inspired. And this is the key here. So when I say the word inspired, what comes to mind for you? Think about that. Well, when I asked that question, what comes to mind, the first thing that came to mind was a 1984 song by the band Chicago. It's a favorite of mine. So go ahead and hit it, Ben. So we're going to sing today. We're going to have a little sing-along. I want to encourage you to take part here. I'm going to point to you at your part. Go ahead, Ben. You know it. Sing it. Ready? Ready? Get yep. in my soul. Baby, you're the meaning in my life. You're the You bring meaning to my life. You're the inspiration. Anyway, that's what comes to mind for me. I don't know what comes to mind for you, but oh, we want to keep going. Jeff wants to keep going up here. He's We'll bring him up here next. <laughs> But isn't that true? You think inspired, right? You know, that certain things inspire me. That The sunset is just inspiring, so I'm going to make art about it. Or I'm inspired to, by this person's story, a very inspirational story. Or I'm inspired to, in my office, to make a TikTok video. But we have to ask the question, what does inspired mean when we talk about the Bible? Because there's lots of different impressions about that. We get this word from this passage in 2 Timothy 3.16 where the Apostle Paul says all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what's true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what is right. Well, the Greek word for inspired is theonustos. Can you all say that with me? Theonustos, theonustos. You just learned some Greek today. So theos, which means God, and the word noustos, which means to breathe Same root of the word pneumonia, about like kind of breathing. Together, God breathed. But what happens is many people jump from God breathed to this assumption that we need to be perfect word for word. It's a jump. The reasoning is this, is that if God is perfect, then the book he breathed is perfect too. And some folks tend to think, well, how did this happen? That God maybe put 40 plus writers into a trance to write this and then if there's any issues that somebody brings up, so a friend asks a question, why are these comparisons? Why are they contradictions? Then they're only apparent contra- contradictions. But for many Christians, the litmus test to tell if you're a true believer is if you believe that it's perfect word for word. But you know what? I want to point this out, is that this takes things beyond the Bible's intention. Do you know that the Bible itself never claims, never makes the claim, for absolute perfection. And the idea of absolute word-for-word perfection is a relatively new view that started 200 years ago in our country, in the United States. That this can be a very dangerous view because it's turned many people, especially young people, away from faith. When they take a class or a friend asks a question or a professor challenges them, it sets people up for a fall. Because when they conclude that the Bible isn't true, therefore Jesus isn't true, and the house of cards topples down. But this, what I'm saying is this need not be. This need not be because what if, what if our struggles and seeming even contradictions and questions about Scripture actually point to its divine inspiration, why we should believe it in the first place rather than take away from it, that we have to understand Scripture as what it is. And that's the power behind it. And that it's first written in time. It's written in time. It was written, do you know the Bible is written spanning 1,500 years? It was written over a course of 1,500 years, all the different books and letters. That's a lot of time. So if we were rewound the clocks, that would be like looking back to 521 AD. Like a lot has happened since 521 AD. Would you agree? That we might see things differently now than we would in 1200 A.D. or even 700 A.D. And that much, much was written in a time before there was the scientific method going on. That people understood things as they appeared. And I've listed in your sermon notes in your worship guide, there's a bunch of different scriptures. I'm not going to go through every single one of them. But there's a lot of different Things that appear, one of them being in the ancient Near East, people, Near East, people believe that the sky was a dome that held up water. Well, if you looked up at the sky and you didn't have any background in any kind of the science behind if you looked at the sky, what does it actually look like? A dome of water, right? That's what it looks like. Well, that's what their perception was. They thought the world was held up by pillars in the midst of surrounding waters, and that there were monsters lurking up underneath the waters, underneath the earth. But that was all normal in their time. That doesn't make it any less true, especially as we read it today. It was also written to a people, to a people, in their language, in their imagery, written in, in, in Hebrew, in Aramaic, and Greek, and you think about it, if the Bible would have been written using the quantum mechanics and cosmology that we know today in physics, then that wouldn't have met people where they are, right? It wouldn't have made sense or even been received well had God somehow interjected in some of the author's brains to include that in their, their writings. It was written to a people, but it's also written with perspectives. I'm not sure if you realize this, But other, quote, religious books were all written by one person. The Quran was written by one man who received a vision of an angel 500 years after Jesus. The Book of Mormon, published in the 1800s by Joseph Smith from Vermont, where he discovered golden plates with an uh, an ancient language on them. But the Bible, the Bible's different. It has a hugely diverse collection of writings and genre, everything from histories to letters to poetry. You would read all those things differently if you picked them up out of the library or looked them up online. And it was written by over 40 authors. Forty. Forty authors, believe this, who came from over three continents— Different backgrounds. Some were fishermen, tent makers, military officials, shepherds, attendants to the king. Each came from their own culture, their own time period, their own assumptions and style. And the beauty of it is God used all of it. Collectively, they point to the character of God. And God God himself probably, I would assume, has perfect Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. But as you read the scriptures... Especially in the original languages, the writers not really so much. That that the writers, even Mark and Paul and Peter, sometimes they misquote things, they misquote scriptures. They, they forget certain or, or certain occasions, or their, their mind is just kind of drawn blank, or they make assumptions. Uh, there's, there's references where Mark says it's from Isaiah, but it's actually from Malachi. Um, when, when Mark it's also talks about this, this quoting, looking back to Old Testament scriptures about who was the high priest at the time. And there's, there's Old Testament perspectives when, when it's said that the Lord incited David to count his army. And then there's another passage that says Satan incited David by sin to account his army. So all these questions that come to the surface we have to embrace them because they come with perspectives that when god was using people to to write the bible he didn't remove their personalities he didn't put them into a trance that they would write these things but instead he used it and in spite of it and and also we see that there's some unchrist like pictures of god that are painted throughout especially the old testament scriptures Pictures of God that aren't consistent with who we see as the character of Christ, who we know is the exact representation of what God is like, that he is God himself. And if you assume that the Bible is perfect word for word, these sorts of objections can cause you to struggle and question this God and throw out the baby with the bathwater. But does God still breathe through the Bible? Can God still use this, even with questions, even with struggles, even with apparent or some, some contradictions there? How does God breathe through the Bible? Well, I would say absolutely yes. And the key here is keeping Jesus at the center. When we keep Jesus at the center and we view the rest of Scripture with the lens of Jesus, then it brings that to light. See, the disciples, this is interesting, we're going to enter into the Advent season in a couple weeks as we're getting ready for that. And, and it's interesting that the disciples themselves, and also many first century Jews, they assumed what the coming Messiah was going to be like, didn't they? Even today, even today, when we talk about how God reveals himself, isn't it usually through a grandiose display of power and authority and majesty when we talk about how God shows up? But when Jesus shows up, he doesn't look anything like that. He doesn't look anything like that because where is Jesus born? In a manger in Bethlehem. To whom? Carpenter, right? From what town? from Nazareth, and he, spend, he grows up and he spends time with who? Fishermen and terrorists, believe it or not. Uh, he then enters into Jerusalem riding what? A donkey? It's dangerous to make assumptions of what a perfect God is going to do. Instead of assuming, we have to look to the place and the way that this perfect God reveals his true nature, and that is the place of the cross. He reveals ultimate authority and strength through something that looked so weak. Because Jesus, Jesus has a funny way of blowing apart all of our images and assumptions and expectations about God. And when God actually reveals himself, he allows himself to go to a cross. And in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul says this, that it's foolishness. It makes no sense that for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. That, that he's saying, what kind of deity would let himself, let his only son get killed in front of those he's trying to show his character to? Why, why didn't Jesus battle? Why didn't he slice off everybody's head in that area? Why didn't he bring back the glory days of Israel? It seems to be weak, Right? But if God revealed himself through Christ, Christ who bore all the imperfections of the world, all of our sin on the cross, and yet breathed his fullest revelation through something so foolish and weak of the cross, then why couldn't he move through even imperfect human vessels like you and I and the words of people who followed him? Does it make so much of a difference that every word is absolutely perfect? Or does God work through it anyway? Is that the power of divine inspiration? The cross reveals a God who stoops down to our level and enters into solidarity with us and meets us and uses us where we are as we are. See, guys, it's through relationship. It's through relationship that this inspiration occurs. God's breathing is not unilateral, meaning in one direction. It's relational. It's relational. See, what's really cool is that how, you have to ask the question, well, how has the Bible come together? Well, in the fourth century, there was a council that gathered to decide that. But, but it's funny because they were just affirming something that was already happening. They they made the criteria that a book to be included in what's called the canon or the, the books of scripture. It needed to be connected to an apostle, somebody that was directly related to the time of Christ. It needed to be already in use by the early church. It needed to be consistent with other scriptures, and it also needed to be discerned, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what, guys? The letters and the gospels and the books, they were already being read by the early church. This was just a stamp of approval by the Big C Church to say that these are what we're going to follow. God was already at work doing this, but he was doing it through his people. He was affirming the inspiration through his people. And the Bible invites us to encounter Jesus and to know God. And what's amazing is that through the last thousands of years, the Bible's been translated in thousands of languages, that it's living and active and, and if you have read scripture, if you do read scripture, you know this. It's probably one of the few books that you'll uh, read time and time again and, and will speak to you in different ways. That not only is it a book written in history, but if that speaks, God's word speaks to us continually today. You wouldn't do that with Harry Potter, right? <laughs> and, and when you read it again, you ask the question, you know, how, how might God be trying to shape my life through what I read? You know, together also in community, this is a rich part of that, is that for the early church, like I said, they had no Bible to flip through and say, okay, turn to John chapter 5 here. No, they told the Jesus stories among them. They shared the stories of Jesus together in community to wrestle and struggle together with life and to know Christ together. Well, a couple weeks ago, I had an opportunity to um, meet a friend of mine that um, I'd actually met through a friend online and through like Facebook or something like that. And so uh, I'd seen her posts and pictures and, you know, and we had been a part of a couple of video calls and things together. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to actually meet her IRL, which for those of you who don't know what that stands for is in real life, in real life. And I, it's funny, because when you meet somebody that, like, you were, like, friends with online, like, it's different. It's so much different when you're in person than it is on a, on a screen. And I had certain expectations of who she was because of what I'd seen and what we'd talked about. But then I, I, my idea became about her, of who she is. It became shaped by who I was discovering her to be. And in our conversation and the time that we spent together. And I think it's similar for us and God, too. For us to know God, you know, think of any relationship that you don't talk to one another in. How, long, how good is that relationship? I would ask, how strong is it? How long does it, does it last? It probably doesn't last very long, and it probably isn't very strong, and it, you might need to spend some time there. And that's with our relationship with God, is that by reading and spending time in Scripture, we get to know him more and more and more. That our understanding, though, means changing. It means making sense of it. It means sometimes transforming some of our our thoughts or perceptions, something that maybe we've been held true for a number of years. And I have to say that's a good thing. Because that means that we're growing in wisdom and in our understanding of God, a God who wants to encounter us, that went through all means to do so in the person of Christ. And so I'd say to you, if you haven't picked up the Bible in a while, and there's a really great app, the Bible app, you can just download for free. It has lots of great devotions and things on it. I want to encourage you to do so. In the new year, we're going to have a little bit of a Bible challenge to read through the Bible in a year. But I'm going to encourage you that if you're starting to read the Bible, start with one of the stories of Jesus, just like the early church did to pick up one of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Like I said, four perspectives, four different views, they were written to four different groups of people. And, and and to look at those stories because that's the starting place to view the rest of scripture. See, when we read sometimes, maybe for you it's been kind of stale, uh, when you've been reading scripture for a while and it's just like, okay, well, here I am at this chapter again or I'm trying to read through the Bible and then, you know, you get to Leviticus and then you're like, ah, okay, done, <laughs> done here. You've been there, done that. Well, I'm gonna encourage you, change things up. Read it in smaller portions. Change the place that you're reading scripture or the, time of day, or the time of day. Maybe read in a different light or maybe even with a different community. We have some great table groups that are going on to change things up because God's word, because of its inspiration, continues to speak to us today. So the Bible, why should we trust it? Why should we believe it? I think this really sums it up, that the Bible is perfect. It's perfect in revealing God and everything necessary for our salvation. Why should we trust it? Its history and perspectives, even apparent contradictions and imperfections, we would say, are all part of the good news. That if he could breathe his revelation by using normal people, then there's hope for you and for me. Is the Bible infallible? Absolutely. If you read it with the purpose God intended, that we trust the Bible to be perfect in its purpose to pointing us to the one who overcame all of our sin, all of our mistakes, and the death consequences of our sin on the cross. It's everything we need to know God and to be in relationship with him. And I don't know about you, but that's a beautiful message. It's a message of hope, to know that he still speaks, that that is good news indeed. And I hope... I hope that this would be a starting point for you as you wrestle with scripture, maybe getting back to it, Um, that that it's amazing to me that that there's times that I've kind of put off reading parts of the Bible and got into my own routine of things, and I've been part of this like Bible in a year app uh, story there, and I can kind of get into that rut, but then there's those times that I'll hear a scripture like three times in one week, the same one, believe it or not, and it just happened to be from this one chapter or this one place, and, and it's something that maybe I needed to hear at that time. It's amazing how God taps you on the shoulder at those times when you're listening, when you're impatient, and when you're waiting, and, and it's good news. It's good news that Jesus is good news, and that's what we proclaim when we gather today, when we gather in this as, as a community, as known as the body of Christ That it's a beautiful thing when all these different parts and stories and people and experiences, that God draws them all together in worship.